You remember. Roll your stealth roll. Game books, pencils, pizza, cheese puffs, and a hell of a lot of dice. And the dragon woke up. Roll for initiative. This is the Roll for Initiative podcast, where 1E is the place to be. This is the Roll for Initiative podcast. We're at episode 184. I'm sitting alongside of Nick. Hi, everybody. And Matt. Hello, everyone. We are back. Yes, I know it's been a little while, but, you know, life gets in the way. And when life gets in the way, you just have to kind of sit back and let it go and then join back in on the fun when you can. Things happen. Things happen, happen. such as Matt has become a real man and got married. Yes, I yeah. Back on October first, I got married. So, when you been going through your RFI withdrawals, it's all my fault. I thought you were going to say when you get lemons, you make lemonade. (laughs) Wow. Yes. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, Matt. Welcome to the pain. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Fortunately, my wife is a geek gamer girl, so all is well. Mm-hmm. That makes things a little bit easier. Yes, it does. And, and as opposed to having to purge the collection, I can get away. I'm buying this game for you, honey. Oh, the purge. Uh oh. Uh oh. Did you say the purge? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hopefully, they make it's no kind more of fit. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Anyway, oh, so uh, yes. Nick, what have you been doing gaming? I know you've been doing something. Um, as far as gaming wise, it's been pretty. Uh, varied uh, during the summer months we were playing aces and eights we did just like a mini campaign with that um, that was really fun that was a nice change of pace uh, change of pace if anybody is not familiar with aces and eights it's a western role-playing game it's fun by, uh, yeah it is really fun um, you know we were really an unusual bunch I think I talked about it a little bit before uh, when we kicked it off for the summer and we uh but we played like three sessions. That was kind of cool. So we got, we kind of sort of got to our objective. We at least got to the town we were supposed to help. But <laughs> other than that, it's, um, let's see what else we've been doing. Um, I did for our, our kind of our Halloween game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did, I did something kind of from the seat of my pants in a way. I did some, uh, something I've been wanting to do for a while is like a zombie apocalypse sort of thing. Oh. Yeah, but they're going to play themselves as the characters in it. Uh-oh. Like a Yeah. Was it, I went that route. <laughs> so modern day zombies attacking kind of like a Walking Dead type thing or Z Nation. Yeah, I or? Yeah, basically I took the premise from World War Z. Oh, I, I read the the book, not the crappy movie. <laughs> <laughs> Nick and, has been uh, down on that movie since yeah. it came out. Yeah, I hated that movie. Just a vehicle for Brad Pitt. Anywho, <laughs> uh I mean, I read the book, and I have the uh, zombie survival guide, and I, and I do have the rules for uh, all flesh must be eaten, which was a nice uh, inspiration. But I went with another rule set that I everybody else was familiar with I thought would fit in a little bit better. I, I went with the BRP rules, basically, you know, the Call of Cthulhu rules, and um, came up with my zombies that way uh, with some of the ideas of how they would work. And... Um, it was very, very interesting, to say the least. Because, <laughs> um, you know, at least two of us have, like, arsenals. Um, another two other people are RNs. And the other person is um, 
uh, and Jeff, he's got a lot of like real melee weapons at home. So everybody did kind of okay. <laughs> so how did, so how did you really explain, fun. how did you explain the outbreak and how did that? Well, what I did mm-hmm. was, um, I read through some of the snippets on world war Z right. on how it's, how it spread in the book. And I tried to put a relatively decent timeline to it. it and it, it took a basically a four-year span from where it started in China up until uh, where it became, quote-unquote, the panic. So that's where I kind of I went with it. And I, throughout the couple of weeks leading up to it, I emailed everybody a little snippet of the timeline leading up to the panic. So everybody's like, and nobody had no idea what was going on at first. They're like, what is this about? <laughs> and everybody, after a while, they're like, oh. So that's how I kind of led up to the game. And uh, basically a few days before I emailed, okay, you're going to be playing yourselves. You know, come up with some good, uh, you know, come up with your skills and abilities. And and uh, we'll just kind of take it from here. Whatever, whatever stuff that you have, in your house or whatever that's what you have i mean including oh. weapons so yeah so if you owned a, up, owned a gun or two you'd actually have a gun or two in your game exactly i have oh. like 11 <laughs> well, well yeah we you do but uh yeah and so does so does gary who's also an rn but <laughs> but and his wife's an rn and then jeff who's got like the house that we it was our first rendezvous point so I kind of played myself as an NPC in a way. Um, and then we went out to Gary's house, which is like in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Basically out near Richfield, Ohio. Right. So, and that was the perfect place to be. So they, they, uh, it got to the point we ended it where they um, had a pretty good base camp set up there. I made end with like a, an onslaught of zombies heading to the base, to their base camp at Gary's house. And, they, and I kind of made it uh, where they had picked up like a group of five people along with them, and they were all gamers. They're all young gamer kids, and they kind of took them under their wing. And one of the one of the kids like goes so. And after the onslaught, and after everything that happened, then they fought off this big massive attack of a hundred zombies. So one of the kids goes, "So what do we do now?" And and I think it was either Gary or Jeff said, we roll for initiative. Oh. <laughs> so that's our kind of Pretty sweet. It was pretty cool. It was, I think uh, we're going to be starting a Star Wars campaign or my uh, castle. So that's what's been going on. Cool. How about you, Vince? What have you been doing gaming-wise? I have been uh, actually doing some writing and, and stuff for Mazes and Perils. Uh, we released a bunch of supplements, some monsters, some classes, things like that. Releasing another class uh, coming up at the end of this month. The um, I forget which one because there's two of them. We had a um, Holy Avenger type class. And actually, I think it was a Holy Knight. Yeah. And... Um, Another like yeah. a con man type class. I forget the name. We we had going back and forth on two different names, so I'm not sure which one we decided on doing. It's slipping me at the moment because I, my mind mm-hmm. everywhere right now because I'm also writing an adventure for uh, 
a sci-fi game that I can't talk about right now. So. Oh wow! So it sounds like I've been doing a lot of creative stuff lately. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of creative stuff. I haven't really had a chance to play much, but uh, I did sit in one uh, Star Trek game that uh, a buddy of mine ran, which is kind of fun. It was uh, uh, Kirk era, and we had to discover why these people were turning green every time they went down to the planet. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it it was fun. It was fun. You know, because you know it's not easy being green. Isn't that cheesy? Yeah. I know it is, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe they're all turning Orions. They're turning into Orions. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, what about you besides uh, uh, getting a shackle and ball and chain on your ankle? Well. Uh, and a boring yeah, wrestling I... event that you went to? Yes. Oh, God. That Raw in Cincinnati was terrible. It was so bad. Uh, but we actually came to the climax of our Ravenloft campaign that we've been running for off and on for about two years. Right. The, mm-hmm. the uh, party found themselves in Castle Ravenloft and going around exploring it, which exploring it when you have a portable hole is a lot easier from a player perspective because he'd stopped opening doors and just started throwing the hole up over the door to make a quick window to see what was in it, then pulling it away. Mm. They also, so, yes, sounds like hell for the DM. Yes, no, it gets worse because they started to like you know, to quickly get between floors, we'll just yeah. throw the hole in the floor and drop down. <laughs> so I had to start Great. figuring out where everything was on top of each other, mm-hmm. or how they have the uh, spiral staircase to go up and down. They they would pick a point in the wall of the spiral staircase and try to cut across that. So they were going all sorts of crazy places. Somehow, instead of working their way down into the basement where the crypts are, they worked their way all the way up to the top spire and then had to work back down. (laughs) Uh, This is the same group that uh, had the two NPC children with them. And the Mm -hmm. children also found their way into Castle Ravenloft. So the party had a 10-year-old. Uh, first level thief with them and a four year old <laughs> NPC while going through Ravenloft. Uh, so oh, I remember uh, these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also through the course of the adventure, they found the deck of many things, and that plays into the climactic battle with Strahd, because mm. uh, one of the uh, the half work of the group decided he he was just going to be a little violent and evil and took some joy in maliciously killing a few of these servants or whatever in uh, Ravenloft. So what I did is I had, well, if you create do these great Eve acts of maliciousness in Ravenloft, Strahd will know. He'll feel it. And, and this character also developed uh, natural ESP as a uh, trait due to uh, power check. So I just said, okay, Strahd knows everything that he thinks and hears. So Strahd was spying on him, but I gave him little clues of it because when he would do something evil, he would hear like a thank you or just things like that in his head (laughs) to let someone know that someone's there. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. But anyway, so they get to, they're outside the crypt. They get past the little teleporting, uh, traps that were set up and then they walk in they go up to the crypt 
And then all of a sudden, big giant fireball comes from the ceiling because Strahd knew they were coming. (laughs) Then we engage in combat. First round of combat, the dwarven thief who has the deck of many things pulls out a card. Know what card he pulls out? Mm. The one that gives you wishes. Of course. He top decked that. So he gets two wishes. First wish involved paralyzing Strahd and making him killable and rekillable. Which I'm like, okay, rekillable. So basically they wish Strahd to the point where you could never kill him because if you kill him, he would just come back. And this is, and, he, and he's paralyzed. But he is a vampire and he can still make eye contact when paralyzed. So he kept trying to dominate people as they were killing him while he's paralyzed. Oh, nice. Uh, then eventually they figured out, oh, wait, if we kill him, he's just going to keep coming back. So they used the second and last remaining wish to make to sew his eyes shut and make him killable. And they got it worded in such a way that once they kill him, he's not coming back. Wow. So the battle with Strahd was actually rather anticlimactic. Oh, because they like a lot. A lot of my campaigns. Yeah, it was like you top decked the wish card out of the deck of many things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, what were the chances of that? And then if they would, and they got well, two apparently wishes. they were pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they got two wishes, not one, because if they only had one wishes, one wish, mm. how do you kill something that's rekillable uh. and keep them dead? Yeah, that's the problem. Right. But you don't have any more wishes and you're stuck Mm. in Ravenloft. You better make that one wish work really good then. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, but yeah, they they all had fun and they managed to uh, basically destroy Ravenloft in the process and get back home. So every, and now what? (laughs) Well, wait, back up. They destroyed Ravenloft. Yes, they just, they managed to destroy Ravenloft because that was the, the whole thing that got them there was this. Okay, not the Demi Plane of Shadow, just the castle. Well, no, actually, they were going around destroying Demi Plane, all the different uh, planes of Ravenloft. Uh, basically, they pulled a magical artifact from their homeworld that of great power and blah blah blah. Artifact MacGuffin, and it basically <laughs> has the power. It was like ultimate power type thing, but you can't really use it. It kind of uses itself, but they gave them the ability to go around and vanquish the planes. Mm-hmm. So they went around and basically were destroying domain after domain after domain until mm-hmm. they got to the first Ravenloft. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I actually had them destroy Ravenloft as in the castles collapsing, the world around them's warping back. Barvoria is going back to where it was before it got cast aside into the dem- demi plane and. So basically, it just removed the entire demiplane. Wow. And put Damn. everything back how it was. Um, I, I got nothing, man. That's <laughs> yeah. When you destroy a whole, when you eliminate a whole demiplane, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so yeah, that, that's how the Ravenloft campaign ended. Ravenloft is no more and the, all the curses are broken. Aww. Okay. Hooray! <laughs> and there was much rejoice. Yay! <laughs> and, now, and now they're back on their home world, and the Dwarven Thief is starting his Thieves Guild. They're building strongholds and all, all that kind of happily ever after stuff. And then they Jeez. still have two children with them. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> so. But, yeah, that's pretty much been my gaming. Where that's are you going cool. to take your game from there? 
well, I think if we were those characters, they're done. They're in their uh, NPC writing doing thing. Uh, we're not going back to them. Thing. So. Oh, okay. Hall of Fame. Yeah, that it's kind of at this point. Uh, we m- might go back to that world where their characters are the NPCs. Maybe one of them is in the Thieves Guild and starting by the Dwarven Thief. We got the oh, and then the one arc the cleric is going to start his uh, Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Uh, <laughs> um, so. So mm-hmm. we could go back to it and have them be like the big hero NPCs. Is the player for that cleric a? Uh, I'm just saying the player probably is an atheist, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is. Okay, that's what I thought. Which <laughs> actually uh, made for some interesting role playing at the very beginning of the venture because they had to do battle with some pirates, mm-hmm. and the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monsters sees pirates as being holy because <laughs> of the inverse relationship to the number of pirates. And to global warming, less pirates, more global warming, more global warming, less pirates. Oh, well, I can see the logic. Right. So they they had to do battle with these pirates and he couldn't bring himself to fight them because they're stopping global warming by existing. (laughs) And his holy symbols, a colander. Of course, it's probably wears it on his head. Exactly. It's it's a nice helmet. I'm, 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 yes, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. Well, um, okay. Before we move on, Nick, do we have any reviews we can speak of? Uh, I don't believe we have any reviews right now on iTunes. But just to remind everybody, if you want to give us a review, we uh, just head on over to iTunes and uh, type in "Roll for Initiative" on the search there, and then you can. Um, Type in your review, whatever you'd like, and give us uh, whatever stars you like, and oh. then uh, maybe we'll read it. Actually, there is a one review we have. What? I yeah. missed it. Damn. On September, <laughs> well, since we haven't done a show since August, <laughs> yeah. um, September 6, 2016. Just found the podcast and love it by Rurik Leviv. I don't know how to pronounce the last name, but keep up the awesome cast from another Grognard. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much. Short and sweet and five stars. He loves us. Oh, wow. I think we're getting close to 200, aren't we? 211 we have. Sweet. Uh, We did actually have an email I wanted to pull out before we go into things that we can talk about real quick. And and it'll be right right up your alley, Nick. This comes from DM Steve, and he's talking about D&D Cthulhu. Hmm. And he says... He says, how about a show dedicated to the Cthulhu mythos that appeared in Deities and Demigods? That'd be an amazing show. Thanks for keeping AD&D alive and well. I know that's kind of your specialty, Nick, so. I mean, like, like just talk about that book with the mythos in it? I think just basically the mythos of Cthulhu. Yeah, the mythos of Cthulhu according to Demigods and Deities. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean... If you guys want to do that sometime, absolutely. I got the book, but I finally found a copy a few years back. I think it was at Origins or Gen Con. So yeah, that would be great. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting breakdown how they have it in deities and demigods. But um, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I can. I think we could do that. We can. I don't know if we could do a whole show devoted to it but you know i could definitely um take a read and let you know what i think we could do with it 
Sounds good. Yeah, because I'd yeah. be interested in just seeing what, uh, what if any differences there were between the actual uh, written HP Lovecraft and what creative license uh, TSR took. Well, the funny thing is that, it, well, I could at least say on this, when they wrote that, they, I believe, initially had permission from Chaosium. They did, yeah. And then after a very brief period, maybe six months to a year, they revoked their privilege to, to publish it. And there's a very strange and interesting publishing history to that book. So, <laughs> Cool. All right. Where it says thanks to Chaos, and there's no Cthulhu Mythos and or Melnabonian ones in there. <laughs> and you're like, well, thanks to Chaosium for what? It's not in there. <laughs> so yeah, here's an interesting publishing history to that. Yeah, we could get into that. No problem. Cool. Thanks, DM Steve. Uh, RFI staff yeah. at gmail.com, 570-865-4210 uh, is the hotline. Uh, before we head into our next segment, just want to say don't forget to hit Go to OpenGamingStore.com, punch in the code RFI2016 and get a 5% discount for any PDF order you place. And if you get up to about 20 bucks in the cart, you can get a free PDF from their all uh, sister site, D20PFSRD.com. That's hosted by John Reist. Uh, so go over there, take a look at it, and uh, support his website. It's a lot like uh, Drive Through RPG Now. Uh, it's up and coming, and a lot of people have been talking about it on Facebook, so give it a shout, opengamingstore.com. So before we get into the meat of the show, we're actually going to jump into an interview we pulled out of Blackstone's Vault. Um, I, I don't know much about the Blackstone Vault interview, but I think it comes from Origins. Is, is that right? Is that what a Blackstone told you, Nick? That is correct. Uh, that is correct. It was at Origins. He made an appearance. He said he was me. Yeah, did he? Okay, oh, he, it's an interview. Yeah, with, he stole uh, my badge. Uh, <laughs> so he's a cheap guy. He didn't want to spring for his say, own badge. I would say he not not necessarily cheap, but just being a villain. Oh, okay. <laughs> just being all around bad guy. He had an interview with Goodman Games. Yeah, he's been collecting a paycheck all these years and not doing anything, but yet he can't afford his own badge. Okay. Well, like I said, he's a villain. He's yeah. a bad guy. Well, let's head into the vaults real quick for that uh, interview with Goodman Games from Origins from <clears throat> Blackstone pretending to be Nick. Blackstone's Vault. Hello, everybody. This is Nick here, DM Nick, over here at Origins. Game Fair 2016, and I'm, I'm sitting here with Brendan LaSalle of Goodman Games, and we're going to talk about uh, another cool game very dear to my heart is Dungeon Crawl Classics. So, Brendan, tell me uh, and our uh, listeners about uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, how it got all started. Absolutely. Well, um, Dungeon Crawl Classics um, sort of came at the crest of the uh, old school revolution, mm. where you had a lot of players who were looking to break away from the, the direction that uh, Dungeons and Dragons sure. and some of the other games were going in. Right. So um, uh, Joseph Goodman went and he went back to the Appendix N from the original Dungeon Master's yep. Guide, and he read each and every one of those Appendix N authors, all of the works referenced, and he decided to go back and create a role-playing game that actually 
was more based in that than Dungeons and Dragons ever really was. So that was the uh, that's the origins of, of Dungeon Crawl Classics. He made an amazing game that is a lot of fun to play. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's easy to learn. Um, it's always surprising. A lot of uh, you know game balance brought about by randomness, which leads to a lot of great, great, great stories. Oh yeah, absolutely. I got to finally play uh, yesterday with. Uh Several of my friends, and I think I got my friend Jeff almost sold to buy uh, the uh, rule book. So outstanding. <laughs> and one of the great things I like about the game is, like you said, the randomness. Uh, particularly when it talks about spells. Maybe you could explain that to our our, our listeners how like the spell system kind of works. Certainly. So if you're an arcane spellcaster or you're a divine spellcaster, you're a cleric or a wizard, um, you um, you have a, a spell. Um, bonus equal to like your level mm-hmm. and some stats. Uh, you add that to your, you roll a d20 and you add that to your check and that uh, gives you your spell result. So if you roll well, um, you can have amazing results. But if you roll, if you roll poorly, you can lose the spell and you can even have uh, things like uh, you can, you know, de- develop some bizarre mutations mm-hmm. as, as the universe uh, snaps cosmic yep. backlash at you and uh, snaps you out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, uh, you can also, um, you can actually do what's called spellburn. You can like, physically hurt yourself. You can bleed and burn yourself down in order to add power to your spells. Yeah. And um, so it, it really gives you a lot of variation as a spellcaster. And uh, there's a, uh, a lovely randomness to it. Every spellcaster has a unique effect that happens only when they cast that spell. Um, that's determined randomly as well. And that um, leads to a lot of really interesting role-playing situations. Um, where you have characters who every time they cast a certain spell, lizards rain from the sky, <laughs> or they lose a spell, a different spell for a day, or they contact another world. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday we had a uh, someone who every time they cast a certain spell, they would create a rift. There's a possibility of a rift in the universe and a cosmic being come out. Two percent chance, and sure enough, guess who showed up at our table? It was hysterical. We had <laughs> such a good story. <laughs> and that's one of the neat things about the game is like the spell, the magic system in there the randomness of it you also have um definitely uh, from its old school roots you have you know uh, race is class so you yes. have if you're going to play an elf you're playing an elf or a dwarf it's exactly it, and you also have you have your standard classes of clerics and wizards and um warriors and thieves warriors and thieves and um another neat thing that i enjoy about the game was in the game world itself, how keeping it as vague and as uh, almost small in scope, maybe you can explain to the listeners why you kind of took that approach on that. Well, um, if I'm understanding you correctly, I think it's um, that leads to a... Uh, a, a lot of Dungeon Master customization. So you right. actually can customize it on the fly at the table. Um, you know, it, the, de- the game definitely has a point of view, uh, and that point of view, it, it comes from a place of strangeness and it tries to make it where there are no standard encounters. There really aren't standard monsters. The book's right. got a few suggestions for it, but right. the idea is that you create your own monsters for every encounter. So it's not like, you know, and, and we all played, you know, AD&D, and after a while, you knew exactly what to do. Yeah, you, you get kind of jaded yep. and it's like, oh. An owlbear or a black pudding right. or a brass dragon you knew exactly how you had had how to handle that dungeon crawl classics eliminates that by making it easy to create unique and terrifying monsters for you to face for the first time every time mm-hmm. uh, and there was the example that they give in the book for like it says it isn't just an ogre 
or a minotaur. It's the minotaur, and it has a name with it, or the ogre. And also, going along with the game world, it is limited in scope and in a way is that the, the characters, they might not know what's over the next hill. They might not know what's over beyond the forest. They just know it's the deep, dark forest. Exactly. They don't know what's beyond the other lands. That's still vague and unknown. And, and I think that's one of the attractions for me is there's a sense of wonder and yes. newness to it. That's what we try to bring back to it. Joseph Goodman, who's, you know, who, uh, when he put it together, he wanted it to snap role players out of the sort of tedium that you, sometimes you get with games where you just know exactly how it's going to mm-hmm. go down. And uh, I think he, su- he succeeded magnificently. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So now there's the, the rule book is out, which is a definite bargain. I, I think it's a great price for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I should, I should point out that there will never, ever be another edition of the Dungeon Crawl Classic Rules. Uh, they are set as they are, and mm-hmm. other than, you know, we've, we've done some minor changes in cleanup and errata over the sure. years to the different editions. And, and who doesn't, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Different printings. But the um, game itself is the game, and it will always be Dungeon Crawl Classics. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful basic system. So for as a DM, you can add things or remove things all you want. It's really based off a, a really scaled down D20 mechanic, which is a beautiful thing. And kind of going along with the mechanic, I think it's a nice uh, way into creating a character, <laughs> which I love to death. There's what's <laughs> called the character funnel. Maybe you explain that to everybody, why that's such an interesting concept. Absolutely, Nick. So when um, you start off a funnel game, you create three or four zero-level characters. These are not classed characters. These are peasants. These are you know basic people who don't have a whole lot of skills. Right. And whoever survives the adventure, that becomes your character over time. So it really challenges you to... Um, to uh, find interesting and, and cre- uh, creative and clever ways to use what resources you do have to, uh, you know, insurmount to surmount, you know, insurmountable odds um, again and again and again. And of course, it leads to great scenes of mayhem and destruction. Yes, it does. <laughs> I mean, and what he say is literally you. St- you could start with butcher, baker, candlestick mm-hmm. maker, yeah. and those are your three zero-level know-nothings, and you're going into the dungeon, and that's per player, you know? Yep. So you there's a high attrition rate. <laughs> there absolutely is. Yes, my um, my first published Dungeon Crawl Classics DCC adventure is a Hole in the Sky, which is a, a, a character funnel, and uh, I've, I've run that for as many as 30 p- characters going through it and had as little as two survive. Wow. So, that's really something. So, you know, that's uh, that's going with the old school thinking. It's like, you know what? This It's tough. Yes, you know? yes indeed. You're, you're starting with a no-name no, no guy, and you're going to work yourself up to greatness. Yep. So you have the rule book, and what else is out for Dungeon Crawl Classics well, right now? there are a lot of, really a lot of adventures. We really aren't doing, um, like, source books or a, a mm-hmm. rule book, per se. Uh, we really concentrate on putting out new adventures out there, and they are, they're, they're scaled for, for, for modern gamers, gamers our age. So you can, mm-hmm. you know, typically, if you, you can, you know, you can get one of our adventures and run it in a session or two. Sure. Um, so you don't, it's not like we're trying to, you know, go back to the day, we'll, you know, we'll never be 16 years old and right. able to play from Friday and 
until Monday morning. But we do day. try. Oh, Lord, we try. Oh, yes. And I miss those days. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, these are the idea is that this is, a you know, the, the DCC Adventures as published. You can get through them fairly quickly. Um, and But we, there are a few wonderful box sets. There's yes. um, Shutter Mountain, which is uh, Tales from Shutter Mountain box set, which is a fantastic setting. Um, now there's the Lanknamar se um, setting. So you can That's play right. Adventures, yes. The Gray Mouser. The Gray Mouser. Mouser and Gray Mouser. Yes. And uh, my favorite, um, the uh, Perils in the Purple Planet, that whole series by Harley. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah. Um, that is uh, Harley Stroh's masterpiece. It's really a very exciting, very difficult, challenging game in a really unique setting. It really harkens back to like um, both Robert E. Howard, the, the, those stories, but also really like John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Yeah. And okay. uh, even a little Jack Vance. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Jack Vance, their Dying Earth series. Dying Earth, yeah. yeah that's, like, that's like a staple for almost every game where you got to read to. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, so one of the things I also remember is that there's a really strong community built up oh, yeah. around Dungeon Crawl Classics, and yeah. that was another one of the attractions to me. Is maybe you can uh, tell everybody about you know, the, the, over, the, the sure. larger community around it. I, I'm, let me start off with my theory on the Dungeon Crawl Classics community that I've actually never said before in a podcast. But this is a... To, if you get a bunch of gamers together and you say, hi, I want you guys to sit down and play a game with me where you're going to make up a bunch of zero-level guys, and then most of you will die. But those of you who go on will have weird powers that will not always work, that will be challenging, and that when you do fail, you will fail in hysterical and astounding ways. <laughs> the people who say, hell yes, that is a game I want to play, those are the best kinds of gamers. Yep. So Dungeon Crawl uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics really self-filters for, for wonderful players. Sure. DCC, and I've been in this I've been in the business since 2000, DCC has is the best fan community, and we have the most fun at conventions, and I recommend everyone who, if you think that's something like a good time to you, because I mean, it, it's not everyone's cup of tea. You know, it's got a real point of view, it's not a power gamer's, right. you know, delightful game. Uh, not that powerful things don't happen. Right. You just can't. Uh, you, you can't design for it. You're never going to sit down and spend three hours trying to make a DCC character that can top all the other DCC characters right. and somehow it's not like crowbar that. a few extra points out mm -hmm. of whatever attack or defense. Right. Instead, it's through clever play and through your cunning and your luck yeah. that you're going to make for fantastic and unforgettable stories. Absolutely, and also with that community, there seems like there's encouragement for. Um, other people outside of Goodman Games to make their own adventures, oh, yes. to make their own little supplements, mm -hmm. and those are some of the fantastic things. And I've seen some of that stuff. I yes, um, there was one the the supplement slips my mind. It was had an elephant. <laughs> an elephant. Yeah, I think there was like an elephant, uh, like an elephant type creature in it. But mm. one of the things I I noticed was it harkened back to that thing to the late 70s or early 80s when he had like the local gaming groups making their own little pamphlets of stuff sure. yeah, like oh, yeah. to build on the D&D. &D. We have a very strong zine community with some fantastic writers and I recommend everyone try, everyone try out Crawl Magazine yeah. and Crawling Under a Broken Moon and all of the other wonderful um, supplements that are there around it. Um, and um, uh, Forrest, um, oh, I can't remember Forrest's last name, but he does this fantastic adventure I just picked up mm -hmm. called uh, Terror from the Silver Screen. And that is um, Forrest Aguirre, um, a novelist and uh, excellent writer, put out this great okay. adventure that um, I, I've played recently. I recommend very highly. Okay. Yeah, that's that was one of the another attractor to me is the. The, the zine community is really cool, and it's just a real cool... It's a fantastic throwback yeah, to that time. Yeah, you're, you're really a part of something with Dungeon Crawl Classics. Yeah. I recommend everyone... Come out, come out and try it at a convention. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we are spreading the love. Yep. And, uh, you know, the 
DCC is getting to be, you know, all over the place. And, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, in fact, if anyone has any specific questions, you can always uh, go to our website, go to our G plus page or the, um, the, um, uh, f uh, fan page, the DCC rocks, um, uh, Facebook page mm -hmm. and check in, see if there are gamers in your area and, um, you know, come and see what the community is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And so with with that going along, what's coming down in the future? Mm. Maybe like an adventures or what have you. I'll tell you something, you guys have been really exciting. Uh, Mutant Crawl Classics, MCC. Mutant Crawl Classics. Mutant Crawl Classics, okay. yes. Um, if you were a fan of Gamma World. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I have a huge Gamma, Gamma World. Probably the third or fourth game I ever played. Love Gamma World. Loved yeah. everything about it. And um, if you were a fan of that, you definitely need to come and try out Mutant Crawl Classics. This is going to be absolutely spectacular so is that going to be like a supplement for dcc yes. or a standalone um, it's, game it's, it's it's oh okay it'll be a supplement and it's and a standalone that is completely compatible with regular dcc oh so wow it's, it would be you know the easiest thing in the world to have an adventure where your dcc characters go and visit the post-apocalyptic you know, uh, world after the bomb and vice versa. Oh, wow. Okay. That is so cool. So I guess uh, we can wrap it up here. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you for, for having me. For uh, coming on a, a Roll for Initiative podcast. And this is DM Nick signing off and saying, uh, may all your hits be crits. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. Of all the evil creatures in the world, I'd like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, now we'll go into the main part of the show for for our for this month. And I thought about uh, keeping with you know Halloween. Talk about haunted houses, and we'll kind of round table the three of us and just talk about maybe designs on haunted houses, the background and history, and not put to one some creatures and traps and then maybe other types of you know haunted structures that you can make and that you can put in your campaign so um let's kind of start off as far as like the design what do you think as far as the design would be i like to go with i like to go with like a, a, you know you, you can go with a castle but i mean almost anything would make a really good structure i mean as far mausoleum. as uh, I would probably start with a mausoleum you know, or something, um, or like a crypt or something. A mausoleum would be really yeah. good. Yeah, or yeah. a family crypt. Or what happens in Cincinnati a lot? You take like a music hall or like another structure and put it over top of an old cemetery. <laughs> what? Oh, there you go. Oh, that's a good point. Those... Yeah, the the whole like moot poltergeist movie kind of route. Right, um, like Cincinnati Music Hall example. They're doing renovations. Under the orchestra pit, about eight inches, they found a body from the 1800s. Ooh. It used to be, where that building was built, it used to be a pauper's field. They never bothered getting rid of all the bodies before they put up Music Jeez. Hall. So when they do renovations, they do it a little big and they keep finding bodies, yes. Oh Just, my God, that's crazy. And then across the street, there's a park. 
they same problem. It was a pauper's field. They moved some bodies, but not all not of them. Not all of them. So oh some of them God. are still there. <laughs> Here's an adventure idea I started writing up over the summer. It was probably really good for this episode now that I think about it. It reminded me, since you talked about that uh, music hall, Matt, I was designing up an adventure where this king hires the adventurers to rid the land of this giant that keeps attacking the castle and killing his guards and then running back into the caves. So the players have to go into the caves and find the giant to figure out what's going on, maybe to get rid of him. But then they face a moral dilemma because they find out that the the king built his kingdom on his family's burial ground. And they find these maps that he's going to do this spell. Oh, and, my God. Yeah, and he's going to wipe out the whole kingdom and everything. So the players have to decide, do they side with the king, kill the giant, or do they um, kill the giant, pretty much, and just be like, too bad. Right. The king moved in. You're you're out, buddy. So it's, that's the, oh, man. that was the premise of that adventure. It went over pretty well, so. Yeah, and you could you could also, in that, incorporate... Well, where the kingdom is, it's haunted by the ghost of the yeah. <laughs> giants, too. And I think that that's – when it comes to haunted houses and haunted anything, it's as much the setting as in the ambiance that makes it haunted, not just what spooky stuff is in there that could actually hurt you. Yeah. So th- for me, it's – you're going to s- – to, to have a really good haunted house, I think, you, you need to set the ambiance to make players more fearful of what they don't know than what they actually do. It's the mystery, and because their minds are going to make it seem much worse than it really is. So you need to play upon that. It's all about the mood and about the uh, atmosphere in most horror campaigns. I mean... Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu, as Nick knows, is running many games. More of us have to do with the fear of everything and what they're, right. what they're going to get around the corner next. So pull that trigger. Right. Is it going to kill the thing or is the thing going to make you go insane? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and that kind of plays in to a little bit on how you would have a background or a history for the place. I mean, yes. like, you're, like you're saying, like a part of the background or history might be an old burial ground where this structure was built upon or maybe it was a... Um, not maybe not necessarily a burial ground. Maybe it was um, the structure was built over, like maybe he had a temple, and it built it was built on the ruins of a previous one. Like maybe they uh, uh, of an of another evil te- a, a temple that was that was to some sort of evil god, and they defeated it and they built another good temple over it. But the revenge and cursed the area, and it's haunted. Something like that. Right. That's that's another good premise to go with. Or it could just be a place that has a lot of tragedy associated with it. Mm-hmm. Like there's some like in the, it was in this spot a orphanage burned down and all the children died. Mm-hmm. Or on this corner of the street eight people died in different incidents no but no one was punished for any of the murders which actually mm-hmm. did happen in Newport Kentucky on a street corner oh nice or yeah. when back back when Newport was ran by the mob right this one street corner uh, six in Monmouth it, for, over the course of like 40 years there was like eight different people that died within maybe 20 feet of that corner no one's been punished really wow. for any of those <laughs> murders That's and they were all crazy. in broad daylight 
Wow. Was, I didn't see nothing. So you could have something like that where somebody died at, at brutal means, but they weren't uh, – no one was punished for it, and perhaps the ghost walks trying to get uh, retribution. Huh. You, uh, there was also right around it uh, – I did some ghost tours, if you can't tell, oh, of Cincinnati no. and Newport. So I got uh, – recently, and in by that street corner, there's an alley. And mm-hmm. the people run the ghost store said, oh, we had some brought some psychics along one time. Didn't tell them where we were stopping. Just see where they get drawn to. And this mm-hmm. one psychic just got drawn to this corner and they or this alleyway. And he asked like – and they're like, we don't know anything about it. Nothing happened here. It was like, I just see so many people. And basically <laughs> what he said was the ghost that haunted like that – dead people. Yeah. The, that alleyway was all the souls of the people that saw one of those murders but didn't say anything. Wow. Oh, that's weird. That's Yes. Crazy. That's just a – so incorporating something like, yeah, everyone knew who did it, but no one would speak up. So now their souls are the ones that are haunting this place. Oh, man. <laughs> so you, there's all sorts of ways you can take that, and it's all mm-hmm. that – if you – Come up with a concept. You can get that little chill up your spine. You want to run yeah. with it. Those yeah, are the I, ones for the haunted houses. Yeah, haunted I guess. The, I guess it just goes about like you're saying, just the different ways you can make an area "quote unquote" haunted, and and that's one of them. I guess another one would be like curses. Curses, I guess, could play into that. You know, like the old witch gives the evil eye to somebody, and you know, I curse your family forever. Something like that, or I don't know. Right. I mean, but there's just so many different ways you can make uh, a place, um, either a structure or the land around it, either, you know, haunted, you know, through a curse or just through the souls that have died there or something like that. That's I like I like the the old, you know, family curse sort of thing. That's always a good one. The old, you know, the bloodline that's cursed in some fashion that could that could play into a campaign to where maybe one of the player characters is part of that bloodline. Or, you could do per, something like that. Yeah. Or perhaps the royal family got cursed. So their king mm-hmm. they have their kingdom, but it's always going to be blighted. It's always going to have something wrong because of that curse. And maybe strange and unusual things happen to that per- person or people when they go to that area. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. That's that's a few that's a that's a lot of good ways that you can, you know, kind of work into a haunted house or a haunted area. You can kind of you can make it that way. Um, I don't know what else. Uh, I guess we could talk about maybe, you know, what sort of creatures you might have. I don't like to do stock creatures from the book. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you're supposed mm-hmm. to use stock creatures. But I'm a person that likes to improvise creatures, especially with this, like, haunted house sure. or yeah. haunted mausoleum or whatever you want to do. I'll make up my mm-hmm. own ghosts and things like that. Like, non, not, I mean, ghosts that are just, like, wimpy ghosts, like a spirit. Mm-hmm. So so it's right. like so it gives them the mood that it's gonna be something, but they don't know because like oh no it's a ghost. If, oh I'm a player, so I know when I look at the manual a spirit. Oh no, we better right. run. So right, it, because if they're haunting an area, they're haunting it for a specific reason. So therefore, they should have something tied to why they're still there, why they never moved on, why are they right. stuck as a ghost. So yeah, ghosts should be just in general have a backstory. For right. existing. It's not like a zombie owes a corpse and so many bad mojo brought them back and they're just walking mindlessly. Ghost, hauntings, mm-hmm. poltergeist, those things, they have backstory. They right. have reasons for existing. 
your apparitions exist for a reason. They don't just randomly happen. I mean, you could do something. Perhaps the uh, ghost is haunting because they weren't given a proper burial. Perhaps they're haunting that area because guess what? Under they didn't move the grave, mm-hmm. and they don't they they don't have the proper marking. Or perhaps they were murdered and buried under the building mob style. Mm-hmm. And if you give them a proper send off, it'll release their spirit to the neither world. Oh, I just thought of another interesting premise as far as like I guess maybe a haunted area or okay. like a cursed family. Okay. Um it was a um it was a Lovecraft story. Um that I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, I think it was Pikmin's model, I think. Um, I could be wrong on this, but the the story had something to do with this the the person whose family was cursed. He eventually basically becomes a like a ghoul, and that's how like I know in the Call of Cthulhu game, that's how a lot of ghouls are about. They're actually humans that have degenerated from this weird mutagenic type disease in their in our DNA where they become eventually ghouls. So, you know, that would be an interesting, like, sort of, I guess, curse where they become some sort of type of monster like a ghoul. So, I don't know. I just thought that just kind of reminded me of something like that. But that's, a like, a interesting premise where they might be maybe over time, maybe that character if their family is cursed and they're in the haunted area they start slowly becoming like a ghoul or a ghast or or some other undead creature yeah it it activates the uh mutagen in the blood Mm -hmm. yeah yeah start and then it becomes a race against time time. exactly to break this curse Mm -hmm. yeah i guess you it's almost like the werewolf thing too and I the, guess. and they could find out about it along the way, like they never knew this was going to happen, type thing, mm-hmm. maybe. And then right. they find these old documents or texts that show this, and and then maybe you could put a little twist in it. Maybe there's a a warren of ghouls under the family crypt or the family house, and they want that person to become a ghoul because they'll become the new leader, the new ghoul king, or whatever. So not only a race before t- against time. But there's a race against a whole other group that's trying to make this thing happen. Right. No, Grandpa, yeah. don't eat me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because perhaps they, there's the family tomb. It's been sealed. Mm-hmm. But and then the players, for whatever reason, like, hey, let's they need need to get in there because there's some artifact or whatever they want. They're like, oh, right. we need this. But then they discovered, no, it was sealed. Because the the family was a bunch of ghouls, and they couldn't kill them, but they trapped them, and now they just unleash this family of ghouls upon the world. Mm-hmm. So, because sometimes the tombs are meant to keep things in, not keep things out. things out. Right. There you go. So you you and the perhaps the item in question was the magic powering the magic ward that kept them from escaping. You could do that too, mm-hmm. where the player is like, oh. I'm taking this magic item. Oh, no. What just happened? Like when Indy pulled the uh, statue off the platform yeah. and all of a sudden released the boulder, mm-hmm. except this time it's an army of undead. Wow. There you go. Hmm. And you know, also to think, I guess, on, on other creatures, I guess you could come up like what Vince does, some unique ones. 
I I like doing that a lot. I, I like to take creatures mm-hmm. and make them just weak versions of themselves, and just right. so they have something to fight. Because I mean, there's no real ghost for low level, and it's, right, it's not a haunted house unless you have a ghost. So mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> You could take the Scooby Doo approach and make it seem like it's haunted when really it's just some like low level NPC that's making it seem haunted for whatever reason they have. Yep. And then like I would have got it if it wasn't for you meddling PCs. If it wasn't for you kids and your stupid little dog. Right. So that way they think they're fighting ghosts and all of this when they're really mm-hmm. not just, because it's all like illusions or like they mm-hmm. just don't have a Scrappy Doo so, in your party. <laughs> um, module that's actually like that, I believe, is Sinister Secret Assault Marsh. Oh yeah, yeah is, okay. that yeah. is like that. I think the 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 pirates or the thieves are hiding out in that one, the one uh, structure by the sea, and they try to dress up as like I guess vampires, if I recall. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why they're trying to keep people away. Because they try to make it appear that the place is haunted by a vampire or vampires. So, and then they find out the quote unquote sinister secret. That's why some people don't like that module. They say, oh, it's like Scooby Doo. Well, not exactly. But anyway. (laughs) Scooby Doo makes a good haunted house for low level characters. Yes, it does. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it does. Then actually, if you think about it, Castle Amber is a haunted house. Yes, it is. That is a haunted house. It has a family with a curse. Yep. And then you could either play it straightforward and it get, can get a little silly at times, or you could just spooky it up a little bit, and it is creepy. Yeah, Chateau de Ambel. <laughs> yes. So the- um, Boulevard Bataille. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, you were even talking about, like, uh, unique monsters. Even in the original Ravenloft module, the Strahd zombies are way different than in the monster manual. Oh, yeah. They're far more nasty. Yeah turn as mummies and yeah. they got the extra hit points and then their severed limbs will keep attacking you evil mm-hmm. dead style yeah that's my kind of zombie right <laughs> which in my game <laughs> they they act the strad zombies never got to do anything because a cleric was an amazing at turning them always rolling great mm, when gosh. it comes to turning those zombies i'm like wow the spaghetti yeah. monster is with you <laughs> oh my gosh oh um i I guess uh, I don't know if there's anything unique as far as you know for the haunted houses, but is there anything unique as far as haunted houses when it comes to traps? I guess. Um, I don't think. I'll, no, I don't think I've ever really used a trap, so to speak, and well, lure people into areas. That's about it. I don't think it would necessarily be like a trap, but it would just be more the. Uh, the lapidatedness of the building right. becomes the trap. Like the well, floors, I, I, yeah. the steps are breaking, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are your they're natural traps. They're not yeah. set there as in I'm going to catch me a player. No, <laughs> it's more of this place is falling apart. You better be a little careful because it's falling apart. Yeah, I guess that would be what it, that would be a way to to structure that. Like you said, it's just the natural dilapidation of the structure. Yeah, and it makes it a little harder for the players to figure out what's going on because it's just the natural right. decay. And also when they start mm-hmm. looking for traps, well, it's technically not a trap. It's just floor looks a little weak, but everywhere in this place looks a little weak. So you, the only, it's a nice... Yeah. The only trap that I've ever really done in a haunted house is, the, is, speaking of Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, is the whole, you know, they're innocent, back turned to you. 
oh, you can help me. And then when you touch him on the shoulder or turn him around, it's just like, Rah! monster type thing. <laughs> yeah. The deadite situation, so. Right, right. Okay. That's the only trap I've hmm. kind of really done in a, like, right. a haunted house or mausoleum type area. I mean, oh, then the voice right. is calling out from the distance and you have to try to track him down. Yeah. Right. And again, and that's setting the ambiance of it too. Those voices. Sure. And then sometimes you could even, you think you hear a voice, but it doesn't mean you actually mm. did. At that point, it could just be the wind blowing and it sounds like it because your mind, once you get right. in that mode, it starts to want to make out Oh, I have a good uh, things that aren't there. I have a good premise that we can kind of poke around with here right now. How about a haunted dream? The players don't realize, or just the characters don't realize that they're dreaming the whole time. How far do you take that to death? And then be like, you wake up and then say that's like six sessions before all this stuff happened? How far are you going to go with that? Because just imagine that. You can play out a dream sequence and not tell them for like two, three games. Right. Yeah. Because... Yeah, because that could be in the story of itself. Why do they get stuck in this dream sequence that where everyone is having the same dream and interacting with each other like it's real? Yeah. What caused that? Perhaps they got sucked into like the astral plane, but it, it seems so real to them that they thought it was real. Now, now the question is, for the adventuring they do in this dream world, would you give them the experience? I would definitely give it to them, only to be fair. I mean, you can't be like, oh, it was just a dream. Psych, you didn't gain those levels. <laughs> so you're not going to Dallas an entire season and have no. Patrick Duffy wake up? No, nobody's going to wake up taking a shower and be like, Patrick Duffy come out like, hey, man, I'm Patrick Duffy and I'm buff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Albeit, that would be an interesting little twist to sh- to tease, like if, in the background, there's like a Patrick Duffy like character just to that's the tell that it, this isn't real. Yeah, because you see, run into Patrick Duffy. Yeah, your character <laughs> your character wakes up and all of a sudden they notice the shower is on. There's steam coming out of the bathroom. You as you wipe your eyes clean, you look closely and Patrick Duffy steps out with a towel yeah, not, over his not shoulder. Not Patrick Duffy. Yes. And you're like, wait, huh? <laughs> what? TV's Patrick Duffy. <laughs> And then you make. I am Scuzzlebutt. Well, no, well, no. You can take it a step further. As this just derails, they go into the stream sequence, but then you actually convert the game to the Dallas RPG. No, oh, no. And then you <laughs> jump out the window with a noose around your neck. Ugh. And that's how you wake up and realize it was all a bad dream. It was all a bad dream. Your DM pulls out the Dallas RPG. Ah! Yeah. No. And that's when everybody starts going after you and want to kill you. <laughs> well, you can add subtle hints like that. You know, a guy knocks on the yeah. door. There's a message from Paige Duffy. It's like, wait, hey. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sir Patrick. And I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I said Sir Patrick. That's all. Sir Patrick. Yes. Um, I guess this. you could use any of this stuff for like any sort of hard, haunted structure. You know? you know, we already said like a mausoleum or a family crypt. I know you um, put down in the notes, Nick, Lighthouse. I don't really think I've ever explored a lighthouse as far as haunted-wise, because I don't think there'd be too much to do in a lighthouse. Yeah, Unless you make true. it a, make it to, like, one of those portals to a different dimension inside of a lighthouse. Right. The, the lighthouse happens to lay at the, the vertex of some ley lines, so it's just like a place of power, hence why it got put there. 
So mm-hmm. it was actually used as a wizard's tower, but then the wizard died. And then they're like, hey, this tower would make a good lighthouse. Well, I just remember uh, a few years back on Ghost Hunters when they went down on the St. Petersburg and they investigated a lighthouse there that was haunted. It's actually quite a big structure. Yeah. And it was kind of creepy what they found. It kind of blew my mind there. But I just that's I know that's one of the things that you sometimes hear about in the real world as far as like places that are haunted are lighthouses. And then you, I like another one of my favorites, you know, haunted ships. Yeah, those are fun. Oh, yeah. The Black I, Pearl. <laughs> yeah, the Flying Dutchman. All right. Well, yeah, it was like for me, I could even like really I'm really interested in like the standing but not operating amusement parks, the abandoned ones. So you could even take something like that. There was like the giant King's Fair years mm-hmm. ago and like the buildings still stand from it, but they're in decay and you have like ye old ancient rides still standing but falling apart. And then that could be have that whole area be haunted. We because... actually have uh, a real life abandoned amusement park right up where I live. Joggle uh, Lake Amusement Joggle Lake Amusement Park. They're yep. finally tearing down the last few structures. It's been abandoned for I think. Probably oh my gosh! Years? Ten years? It might have been ten years, twelve when, years now. Yeah, because when did Cedar Point close it? Because they bought it, combined it with Sea World, and then closed, shut it all down. Like yeah, later. And then they just had the wild, the water park area open, and why now that's it? finally closed. Why was it closed down? Uh, because Six Flags bought them. Oh, okay. And they didn't want any. Uh, basically, they didn't want any competition with over in Sandusky, Ohio. Right. I wasn't yeah, sure cause... if it was deaths or something or. No, it was just too close to Cedar Point for their liking. Yeah, up in Cedar Point in Sandusky. In in Pennsylvania, Mount Airy Lodge. You remember Mount Airy Lodge? You used to always hear those commercials, Mount Airy Lodge, something, something about skiing and things like that. That got closed down because the owner supposedly committed suicide in the hotel, and (laughs) then it went bankrupt. And then, of course, course the mob bought it and made it into a casino. Yeah, and of course, the mob bought it and made it into a casino, but... (laughs) Yeah, so. yeah. It was like there was over there in uh, Korea. There is a amusement park. It was operating, running. But then one day on one of the children's ride rides, it was like a little roller coaster with like duck cars. One of the cars fell off the tracks, and a little girl fell out uh, and died. Uh, and uh, the owner proceeded uh, to disappear. He fled the somewhere, and the park <laughs> just shut down. It just okay. ran away. Yes, he literally just ran away. They never, last I heard, they never found him. And this was years ago. But they still had, but people would go there and take pictures of it. And when you look at these old places, uh, what, like in this case, the car was still dangling from the tracks. Oh, yeah. my gosh. girl fell out. And what's creepy about it is, is you could see the structure, but then you see nature start reclaiming it. Yeah. And that gives you that yes. weird, uncanny value. like, this is right like this building but this growth and this it just feels uncomfortable it's like when you look at either like old pictures or pictures from uh chernobyl or anything like like any place where it was once full of life and then nature starts reclaiming it that gives you that eerie feeling yeah and then those and, make great haunted and places you know, as well. have a haunted park 
Yeah. And you know if you're going to have a haunted amusement park, Kiss has to show up. Yes. And save the day. <laughs> anyway, I think that's going to wrap the show this week. If you have any ideas about haunted structures or haunted houses, rfistaff at gmail.com or send Ooh. us a voicemail, 570-865-4210, the hotline. Hit us up on Facebook at our webpage. Go on to iTunes and type in keyword role for initiative and leave us a review. And we'll be back next time. So we're going to say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. The Roll for Initiative podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Roll for Initiative.